0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. Real love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for with every
1: sunrise. We will start to lose sight of God when we are too proud to surrender. Zedekiah didn't have to see his son slaughtered. He didn't. Jeremiah told him in chapter 38, your family will escape, you will escape. You're still going to be held captive, but you will escape with your lives. And instead, because of Zedekiah's stubborn refusal to surrender and submit to God, he tragically witnesses his own son slaughtered in front of him. As his eyes gouged out, the last visual.
0: In your walk with Jesus, have you ever been given a word from the Lord, but you completely ignored it? Have you ever known what God is calling you to do, but you don't listen to His still, soft voice? In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that if you follow your own plans, it'll never work out like God's plans. He is working everything for your best and will always deliver on His promises. Don't be foolish. And let your pride keep you from all of the glorious things that God has planned for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 36, as he continues his message, Don't Lose Sight of God.
1: Here's something else that Zedekiah did in chapter 37, still. Verses 16 and 17. Look at verse 16. It says, Jeremiah was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained a long time. Now, he's put in a dungeon because Zedekiah ordered it. He was tired of hearing Jeremiah the prophet going around Jerusalem talking about the word of the Lord and warning people about the impending judgment coming through the Babylonians. And so he's put into this dungeon. He's, he's imprisoned. Verse 17, then King Zedekiah sent for him and had him brought to the palace where he asked him, NIV says, privately, some of your translations say secretly, circle that word, privately or secretly, is there any word from the Lord? Get this guy. He has Jeremiah thrown into a dungeon and then he's like, wait, I really need to hear some kind of hopefully a good and encouraging word from God. So then he calls Jeremiah out of prison secretly, secretively, privately, and then asks him, is there any word from the Lord? And I love how quickly Jeremiah answers. Yes, he replied. You will be handed over to the king of Babylon. Yeah. End of discussion. He's like, I've been telling everybody for 40 years. If you don't turn from your wicked ways, the Babylonians are coming. And so there's no new information here. You know, I guess Zedekiah thinks if I just keep asking, maybe the information will change. It's not going to change. But what we find happening here is this scene wherein Zedekiah privately, privately, secretively meets with Jeremiah. Point number two, when do we lose sight of God? When open faith becomes hidden faith. Zedekiah never wanted to openly identify with God, only privately, secretively, behind the scenes. The very reason he had Jeremiah put in a dungeon to begin with was to silence him, Zedekiah never wanted to publicly acknowledge God. That's why he sent for Jeremiah privately in this scene to get what he hoped was a good word from God. But it turned out to be a disappointment because Jeremiah just reiterated what he's been saying for the past many years. Here's the application, friends. When I hear people from time to time say, my Christian faith is a private thing, that's code word. For I'm too ashamed to be identified with Christ publicly. You say, that sounds judgmental. It's not judgmental. It's just factual. When people start to talk about their faith as something that they don't discuss, because it's just a a private thing, that is code word for I don't want to be publicly identified with Christ. For a variety of reasons. But that's what it really means. Because the fact of the matter is, what other exciting good news in your life do you want to keep private like that? I mean, take engagement for example. When a couple gets engaged, you're like, oh, we're still in love, we're going to get married, we're going to get married, we're going to get married, we're going to get so in love, and they finish each other's sentences, they feed each other, it's terrible. Anyway. <laughs> Like, we're gonna get married, gonna get married, we're gonna... and so their engagement becomes a very public thing, and it should be because it's like, we're gonna get married, we want the world to know. And so, you change your status and you tweet it out, and you got all your friends knowing about your Instagramming, everything because it's an exciting event. Same kind of thing happens in another phase of life when you start to have kids. When you have kids, you want everybody to know, we had a baby, we got a, a baby, we had a baby, we had a baby, we had a baby. People now, in this day, even to anticipate. The arrival of the baby, they have reveal parties now, right? To reveal the gender of the baby. So we're going to have reveal parties, which is fine. That's fine. Just back in my day, the only revelation of the gender of the baby is when you change the diaper. That's how you reveal it. There's no reveal parties. But okay, fine. So that's fine. So that's what's happening today. And why do people have reveal parties? And why do people make all these announcements? Because it's an exciting thing. And you want everybody to know because it's a joyful, exciting thing. So, why is it that when it comes to our faith, we want people to know that it's just a private thing? I don't talk about it. It's private. Now, I get that in some circles, in some corners of the world, it's very dangerous to be vocal that you're a Christian. You go to Saudi Arabia, it's illegal. China, it's illegal. So there's a reason why in certain parts of the world that the church has gone underground. That's a matter of survival. And frankly, the gospel can be advanced through the underground church better than it can above ground, because all that's going to happen above ground is you're going to be put in jail or worse, you're going to be killed. So I get that in some places it might be necessary for survival and for the advancement of the gospel to go underground, but not here. So far, the Constitution protects the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech, for now. And because we have those protections, we are able to talk freely and publicly about our faith. So why then do we act as if we're living in Saudi Arabia when it comes to our Christian faith? Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in their house. And Jesus then adds the next verse, therefore... Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What is Jesus saying? He said, in the same way that a light illuminates the room, you don't hide it, you put it up on a stand so that it gives light to the dark room. He says, live your lives in such a way that it's public and obvious that you belong to me and illuminate the darkness of this world. Even what a step further Jesus did in Matthew 10, and he said, whoever denies me before men, him will I deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus calls us to live a public faith, to publicly identify with him. In the same way, much to a greater degree, of course, that Jesus lived publicly in dying for us on a cross 2,000 years ago. I and mean, that was kind of a public way of identifying with us. And I'm so thankful that Jesus publicly identified with me and with you when he died for our sins on a cross 2,000 years ago. Amen. He publicly laid down his life for us. And so why should we keep our faith hidden? This is Zedekiah. This is why Zedekiah was blind long before his eyes were put out. His faith was a very private thing, a very secretive thing. I'm only going to talk to Jeremiah behind closed doors. I'm not going to really identify with the Lord publicly. Go to chapter 38. Here's another scene we see with Zedekiah, chapter 38. I'll read the first 10 verses. And um, verse 1 has a bunch of names too hard to pronounce. So suffice it to say, there's several guys in verse 1. And in verse 2, this is what they say. They're upset that Jeremiah was telling all the people... What he said, and in verse 2, they quote him. This is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. He will escape with his life. He will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. And then the officials said to the king, This man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city, as well as all the people, by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. And notice in verse 5, He's in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to uh, oppose you. Really? Are you that passive? You can't say to these guys, no, that's wrong, we're not going to do this. So he lets these officials go ahead and seize Jeremiah and uh, throw him in prison. It's actually a cistern. It's an empty cistern. Verse 6. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. And they lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Verse 7. But abed melech a Cushite, Cush is the ancient word for Ethiopia. He's an Ethiopian. This guy, bless his heart, look at him. Ebed melech a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. And while the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate ebed went out of the palace and said to him, My lord the king, these men have acted wickedly, and all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, they have thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. And then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Cushite, Take 30 men from here with you, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. Okay, well, congratulations, Zedekiah, you have finally decided to treat Jeremiah properly, but it was only because this one guy, Ebed-Melech, One of the officials in the king's palace had enough guts to confront the king about what was going on in town. But what's interesting and sad about Zedekiah in this story is that he says one thing to one group of people and he says another thing to another group of people. He changes like a chameleon to suit whatever the situation to the first group who complained about Jeremiah, he says, uh, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to interfere. Go ahead and do with him what you want. Then Abed-Melech comes and says, you know, that's not right what those guys did. And Zedekiah's like, yeah, you know what, you're right. Take 30 men with you, pull them out of the cistern. It's like he just shifts. He changes and he caters to the loudest voice, Zedekiah does, in order to appease the popular voice at the moment. Isn't this what irritates us about politicians? When politicians do this kind of thing, how they vacillate and they just cater to whatever the loudest voice is at the time, they don't seem to have any guts about any conviction about what's right and what's wrong to stand for something. And so this is who that guy is. And frankly, it's a point that we need to remember. We will start to lose sight of God, number three, when we stop doing the right thing in favor of the popular thing. Now, sometimes... The right thing is the popular thing, and it's wonderful when those two things line up together. But more and more in our world, the right thing is not often the popular thing. And there is usually a personal cost attached to doing the right thing instead of the popular thing, and that's the reason why some people are reluctant to do the right thing, because they don't want to pay the price that is often attached. Zedekiah didn't want to pay the price, so he just opted to do the popular thing. One group comes to him, say, we should treat Jeremiah this way. Fine. Another guy comes to him, say, we should treat Jeremiah this way. Fine. Thank God that Ebed-Melech had enough courage to do the right thing. By the way, in a couple chapters later, God specifically calls out Ebed-Melech for his courageous, valiant act of doing what was right and specifically says to Jeremiah, tell that guy he's going to be spared on the day the Babylonians come. That's how much God takes note of when we do what is right, even though it may not always be popular. And the fact is, and this isn't anything new to you, you all understand in our culture today, right and wrong have become very blurred. The things that define right, the things that define wrong have become very blurred. People want to convince you that there's no such thing as absolute right and absolute wrong. The way the culture is trending is they want you to believe that it's a very relative thing. It's a subjective thing. Truth and what is right and what is wrong is what I make it. It's what is right and wrong for me. It's my truth. You hear people start to own it that way. That's just simply their way of saying, I want to get to define what is right and wrong. And in large part, the reason is because people don't want to be accountable to the God of the universe who defines absolutely what is right and what is wrong. So it's a whole lot easier for me to make up my truth. And to live by my truth. It may not affect you, but it's my truth. And this is the phenomenon that's tragically happening in our world today. What's so ironic and frankly humorous is that the very people who argue for no such thing as absolute right and absolute wrong will absolutely tell you that you're wrong for believing that there is. And thereby they contradict their own beliefs. It reminds me of a scene, you can Google it later, Robbie Zacharias, a great Christian apologist, often goes around to secular college campuses and just engages people in debates, friendly debates, just defending the faith of Christianity. And there's this one guy who stood up, one college guy who stood up trying to challenge Robbie Zacharias, just like a third-year freshman who stood up there in a... uh... (laughs) And he says to Robbie, he says, I don't believe there's any such thing as truth. That truth is just basically what I make it to be. There's no absolute truth. And Robbie just politely and gently stood up and he said, Well, I assume that you absolutely believe that what you just said is true. And if you do, you just made my point. And if you don't, then why should I listen to you? Sit down. (laughs) And just kind of put the guy in his place. But the whole thing has become just this insane way of approaching right and wrong and truth in our culture today. And we can't stop doing what is right in favor of what is popular because when we do that, we lose sight of God. Last thing we'll look at, still here in chapter 38, look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says... So Jeremiah is speaking here to Zedekiah. This is prior to the destruction of Babylon. Here in chapter 38, verse 17, Jeremiah says to him, if you surrender, circle the word surrender, if you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and the city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. You see what was told to him in advance? Verse 18, but if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it down. You yourself will not escape from their hands. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have gone over to the Babylonians, for the Babylonians may hand me over to them, and they will mistreat me. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you, and then it will go well with you, and your life will be spared. The key word here that appears twice in verse 17 and again in verse 18 is the word surrender. Surrender. It actually appears a third time in verse 21. I just didn't read down that far, but that's the key word in understanding this conversation between Jeremiah and Zedekiah. Jeremiah kept telling Zedekiah, if you'll just surrender, if you'll just surrender, it's going to go better for you than if you resist. Now, I get it. You know, if you're a king of a nation, the idea of surrender sounds disgraceful. You want to fight to the very end. But the reality is that Zedekiah was not afraid of surrendering to the Babylonians. The root of his issue was he was afraid of surrendering to God. He was too proud to surrender to God. Because the word of the Lord through Jeremiah was, if you surrender to God and do what God says and just yield to the discipline that God is bringing against you, it'll go better for you. When you yield to God's discipline, then if you resist God's discipline, that's really what's happening here. God did not allow the Babylonians to come to disgrace the nation. God allowed the Babylonians to come to discipline the nation whom he loves. There's a big difference. God is not interested in disgracing us. You know, when we bring disgrace upon ourselves, nine times out of 10, when we disgrace ourselves, it's because we have not heeded that still small voice of the Lord wanting to discipline us in advance. And then we're open to disgrace. If we would just yield, if we would just surrender to the Lord, we don't have to suffer the pain and the agony and the disgrace. Often it goes far better for us if we would just humble ourselves and yield to the Lord. Now, you know, as a parent, Terry and I have three. They're all grown now, but I can tell you, as is true for any child... Every child is unique. Every child has their own personality. Every child has their own way of thinking. Every child has their own, you know, perspectives. And so you need to recognize the natural bent of a child and try to encourage them in the natural bents and discourage those parts of their lives that you can see in advance. If we don't correct this now, this is going to get way out of control later, right? And so, you know, we have three kids and when they were little, we had to discipline them uniquely. Now, two out of three, all you had to do was look at them. I won't mention the names, all right? But two out of three of our kids, all you had to really do was just look at them like, you know, why did you do that? And I'm disappointed. And then they would just kind of melt. You know, I'm not going to mention names, but they just kind of melted. But that middle child You could look at, he could stare him down all day long. And it wouldn't matter. I remember, you know, reading James Dobson, like, okay, how early is it appropriate to spank a kid? And James Dobson, like, 18 months, like, man, I was marking days on the calendar. It wasn't that bad, and, and thankfully, they've all turned out well, praise the Lord, by the grace of God. But that middle child... There were times where we had to administer the right hand of fellowship on the padded part of his bottom. (laughs) And I can tell you that there were times when we'd go in for the spank and what he would do, he would just stiffen up. Like, it's not going to hurt. And as he would stiffen up and resist, it would hurt more. It hurts more. It just... And if he would just... you And I said to him once, if you would just relax, this would be less painful. (laughs) This is how we are, though. This is how we get with God. God's like, okay, you're not getting it, so I need to discipline you. No, God! And this is Zedekiah. Zedekiah just resisted, and he wouldn't surrender, and he wouldn't yield. And as a result... He lost sight of God. The last point on our list. We will start to lose sight of God when we are too proud to surrender. Zedekiah didn't have to see his son slaughtered. He didn't. Jeremiah told him in chapter 38, your family will escape, you will escape. You're still going to be held captive, but you will escape with your lives. And instead, because of Zedekiah's stubborn refusal to surrender and submit to God, He tragically witnesses his own son slaughtered in front of him, has his eyes gouged out, the last visual, the death of his sons seared on his mind for the rest of his life. And all could have been avoided if he would have simply surrendered to God's discipline. I wonder what we could avoid if we would just surrender when God's trying to get our attention. What could we possibly avoid if we would just humble ourselves and yield to God and say, okay God, I surrender. God loves us too much to allow us to remain as we are. And we can either choose the path of discipline or we can choose the path of resistance. But it goes far better for us when we humble ourselves under God's merciful hand of discipline that we might be changed for the better than to resist God and see how much more difficult our lives are. Proverbs thirteen fifteen says, the way of the transgressor is hard. We make it hard for ourselves when we are in disobedience to God and when we do not surrender to His Lordship. I pray and I trust that we will learn from Zedekiah's life a few of these points here so that we would never lose sight of God. Amen.
0: That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from Jeremiah again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in Jeremiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. you know